Hey everyone, this is Noah. I just wanted to let you know before you start this episode that we dive into some pretty deep uh, waters talking about depression and suicide and various mental health issues. If you need any help or you're in crisis, please reach out to someone. I have a phone number for you, the Center for Apostolic Counseling, 281-358-7194. Reach out, somebody's willing to talk to you. Uh, You can reach out to me, you can reach out to someone that you love, reach out to someone that you trust, but please don't try and go through it alone. Reach out and talk to someone. There's people that care about you. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Noah coming to you for Noah Needs to Know. Today, my guest is Shannon Peacock, a good friend of mine. And Shannon, why don't you tell the people about yourself? Well, good to talk to you, Noah. Glad to be on your show. I have, like you said, we've known each other for a little while. We met at church when I back when I was evangelizing. Kept in touch since then. And in fact, I uh, paid a little surprise visit to you. You did. You <laughs> yeah. did. Uh, I guess it's been a, what a couple years ago now. Yeah, we actually, and, uh, uh, Lindsay and I found the pictures of that. Yeah. They came up in our feed the other day, and of of yeah. little bitty Addison playing the guitar with you. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. She's a she's a cutie. You know, no no matter you, you can say like I can. I have two daughters, both good looking. Thank God. I, I'd, I'd love them anyway, but let's, let's just be honest. No matter what we're going through, no matter what life throws at us, at least we don't have ugly kids. That is that is 100% true. They get their looks from their mama. At least mine do. Yeah. At least mine do. Well, my older one looks a little more like me, but looks better on her. Yeah. The The older Addison gets, the less she looks like me and the more she looks like her mom. So I'm, I'm, yeah. thanking, I'm thanking the Lord Almighty for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, just wait till they if whichever one has your personality, <laughs> and, and then it, then it gets really fun. Then it gets uh, things get, oh, get Lord. really interesting. I'm not sure the world is ready for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly won't be either. But yeah, that was back in uh, we first met my evangelizing days, mm-hmm. and I've I've been in children's ministry since uh, about 1991 and uh, traveled in children's ministry uh, full-time. I, I went out on occasions before this, but before 2009, but 2009 through 2017, mm-hmm. that was that was the last last trip I took, and it was to uh, my very last, you know, hurrah trip in children's ministry was to Canada, and in fact, it was um, happened to be the same week that a good uh, children's evangelist friend of mine, Lauren Crutchfield, uh, was there that same week, and she's also from Georgia. I've known her since she was little, so that was that was that was a really neat kind of send off. And now I uh, minister once a week. We have a we have regular Sunday school three times a month. And last last Sunday of the month, we have a, a children's church service. You know, more service oriented as a, mm-hmm. as opposed to the tradition, more traditional Sunday school, which which is kind of the format that we have the other the other Sundays of the month. I've also just recently begun my undergraduate degree in psychology, so I'm very excited about that. Maybe one day you'll you'll have to refer to me as Doctor Peacock. Um, yeah, I probably I, won't do that. <laughs> no, you won't. Actually, no, you won't do that because it, I will. Not, I don't know if I will ever introduce myself as Doctor Peacock if I if I do move on to get my my graduate degree or postgraduate degree in psychology. But I started in January working uh, working on my degree in psychology. I'm doing this first leg uh, online, and then I'll move on to. I plan to 
get my master's with the National Christian Counselors Association, and uh, it's what uh, my former pastor and uh, slash bishop, that's where he got his degree. It's an excellent, excellent Christian-based counseling program. Absolutely. And I'm also... Uh, doing that and homeschooling homeschooling my girls so that's 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 the long and short of it that is that is awesome well don't listen to my last podcast with with Lindsay then because i kind of i kind of took some shots at homeschoolers because <laughs> Lindsay's a homeschooler and i like to i like to joke with her about that yeah. no no go for it there's 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 plenty to joke about it's it's worked out good for us it's not for everyone but if you can do it the i think the real well there's two real advantages of it for one thing your kids kids we we say now more than ever but it's really always been the case that you know you kind of mm-hmm. throw them to the wolves a little bit as far as their socializing goes that's one of the big questions you know don't how do they get socializing well they we have church and they have children in the neighborhood and and the advantage is that we're able to monitor that social interaction a lot more than than um than public school but for us the biggest advantage is my younger daughter she's very gifted at math she's eight years old and she's a year and a half ahead uh she's in pre-algebra my other one's the the artist. And so they're able to get ahead in what they're good at. And if they get a little bit behind in something else, it's 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 not that bad. So it's, yeah. it's worked out well for us. So in this in this current, I know you'll get to this, but in this current climate with the uh, coronavirus quarantine going on, I'm just kind of sitting back and laughing at everyone. <laughs> it's like I, uh, I, I've yeah. been staying at home. I, I, I know I know how to do this. So you you mentioned that you're you're gonna you're homeschooling your daughters, which is which is awesome. I actually I talked with my aunt a couple of weeks ago about schooling, and she's a public school teacher, and so I talked to I talked to her about some of the issues that the kids face, and Lindsay and I have talked about it, and we're more than likely going to going to homeschool our girls as well, just because you know the climate that they face, especially believing like we believe in being being separate and apart. It's just a chance for somebody to bully a little bit more. Yeah. And, as much of that as you can cut down, it, it yeah. always helps. Yeah. Well, now more than ever, the the thing is, if you don't believe, uh, maybe it's always been a little bit like this, but if you don't take the view that others do, the it, it, it used to be, you know, well, we'll just agree to disagree, but it's not like that really, really anymore. It's, you know, you don't believe like we believe you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're a, a whatever. And once, once you've got that label, you, you don't get away from it. And that's 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 one of the biggest challenges that, that our kids face. And I tell tell kids if somebody whatever they believe, just say, mm-hmm. "Well, I want to be your friend. I love you." But that's um, that's the that's the attitude more than anything else. That's what gets that's that's the um, that's how it's represented in the media and film and television. That's just how we. That is we that is exactly it. what we have to deal with. And I think one of the biggest issues of dealing with it is the fact that like you said it's a it's a very much a teams game nowadays where you either agree with me 100% or I don't want to have anything to do with you and that's where a lot of the problems yeah. I think come from because there's no there's no discourse anymore and there's no just hey let's talk about this and find our common ground which which was one of my inspirations for doing this was that I wanted to I wanted to move into a learning through discourse because I've always been a huge fan of discussions and I was in debate in high school. And so I've always been a very big fan of, well, let's talk it out because the more you talk to someone, the more you understand their point of view and their perspective, where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got, I I sent you a list of questions. We we probably won't get to everything that we, we have on the list, but I want to, I want to hit a couple of things. Um, and and we'll move we'll move right into the the fun things. Then we'll get a little deep. We'll we'll dive around a little bit, get a little get a little dirty, and then we'll get a yeah. little more fun again. Um, 
So let's let's yeah. start with uh, what's one of your hobbies? I know you like to read. Uh, you love Terry Pratchett. Um, you consider him yeah. to be one of yeah. one of the best authors, I believe, is what you've told me. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, I, and and my bumble and highest opinion. He is uh, he's the best fantasy writer. It, it is, there's a lot of satire. It's he's funny. Um, he, he himself was, was an atheist and you can see that in some of his writing, but not in, not in a really critical of religion kind of way. It was, you know, this is my perspective and this is how I write, but, uh, you don't, you really wouldn't get a, a sense of him as being that in his writing, um, because he's not, you know, everything is good natured. Everything a lot of times is lighthearted. Some of it is just absolutely hilarious. And he's one of the few authors that, I can just really, I, I will laugh, actually laugh out loud about while I'm reading. His, uh, he's British and he's got that wonderful British wit and humor. So uh, I read, um, I read a lot of him, especially his Discworld series. And um, uh, actually, the book I just, I just finished is, uh, I think my my favorite one is called The mm-hmm. Fifth Elephant. And you'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to know the whole premise of the story to know it, know it, to understand that reference. But my other hobby, and I've done this for many years, I had a, uh, is uh, photography. I had a the the funnest, other than of course, other than children's ministry, we don't really think of that as a job job. But the funnest job that I ever had was working for a local newspaper where I grew up in in Conyers, and that was a lot of fun. I really uh, got to hone my skills as a photographer, and there's so many different types of photography photography that you do. Uh, there's sports photography, there's spot photography, doing news stories and that kind of thing. And um, so I was able to up my game doing that. And I, the last time I actually shot football, I, I've done some freelance work for them. We I left in, in 2008, right before I started children's ministry. But uh, I, I've done a little bit of freelance work for them, and I was shooting football for them. And I was obviously too close to the sideline because I was looking through my lens and suddenly, boom, I was hit from the side by uh, the by the referee and he, he didn't hardly blink. He just looked back at me. I was on the ground and he just kept <laughs> doing his job, but it, it ripped it ripped the lens out of my camera. The lens was fine, which was not mine. It belonged to the paper. And so I, my camera was ruined and I've only actually recently finally... Uh, I guess I went a couple years without a camera, but without a good camera. But I finally got one, and uh, I've gotten back into it a little more. I do a little bit. Um, uh, I do some freelance work, and I've sold some of my stuff online uh, recently. So I, I really enjoy doing that. Of course, not 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 with the uh, the current uh, pandemic going on. I've not got out to do much of much of that at all. But photography, reading Terry Pratchett, those are I think my t- and and video games. Those are. Those are my my top, and I think I think that's probably one of the reasons why we're friends. Because with the exception of photography, um, I think I did photography once, and it was by accident. Um, (laughs) And uh, but but we both we both like to read. You actually uh, introduced me to Terry Pratchett when we first met, Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, I've actually I have all of his books now, and I've read the Weird Sisters. Yeah, the the Weird Sisters. Uh, I've read up to that one, and uh, I'm. I'm working through several of my reading lists during this during this quarantine time, but yeah, I mean you can, I mean you can, you can, you know, this mm-hmm. is just the wit and the the British humor and the satire. It's just so in- and I, and I think engaging. that's I think that's one of the reasons why I I actually like Terry Pratchett is because 
I say this in every single time I record, but Mark Twain is one of my all-time favorite authors. I've read everything that he wrote, and including his uh, his traveling books. And it's because of his satire that I yeah. like him so much because he's just, you know, yeah. he never took anything too seriously. And that's kind of how I try to approach life because yeah. when you're so serious all the time, it just it, it starts wearing on you yeah. and makes you makes you sad most of the time. Yeah, well, my, my philosophy is you can take issues and certain things in life seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Do not take too yourself seriously. too seriously. So on yeah. on, just, on the note of not taking ourselves too seriously, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh-huh. so how long were you in children's ministry? What, what age were you when you started uh, actually traveling and doing full-time children's evangelism? Well, the the first time, well, the first time I did anything related to children's ministry, it was an absolute disaster. And if you want to know that story, I'll, I'll tell it to you whenever. But uh, I, I mean, it was awful. It was just <laughs> awful. And maybe I'll share some some stories of, about some disasters that I've had. But uh, the first, it was actually summer 2000, 2009, and it was the Louisiana Kids Camp. I, I did the, the day services, and if there's a place to, uh, and that was the first time I'd actually done anything out of state. Uh, well, no, I take that back. I had, it was the first camp I did out of state. I had done a, a few things uh, in, uh, like a couple things in Florida, maybe something in Mississippi, but it was the first major event, first camp out of state. And that was summer of 2009, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I had crowds don't have never really bothered me. Small crowds, you know, three kids, three thousand kids doesn't matter. And this was uh, this was 900, almost 900 kids, and um, at, I think two places anybody any evangelist, children's evangelist, ought to teach is their home and Louisiana <laughs> because that that opened up a lot of doors and people are great. Uh, I, I don't think I ever traveled more than 24 dates a year. Uh, it was always a little bit, I, I mean, I, I was just never one. I never became full, full time. I mean, that's how I made my living. And in 2000, January of 2010, my wife and I moved to Louisiana. Uh, that was a real God thing. In 2008, she just, we knew we were going to evangelize. She just sat straight up in the bed and said, I, I just had a dream that God said, don't worry about your uh, rent is taken care of. And we thought, well, that'll be nice. And in 2010, we decided to move to Louisiana and couldn't find a place. And I said, God, if this ain't you, I'm going home. And a couple in the church uh, came to us and said, we have a garage apartment. If, if you know, y'all are welcome to it. I said, okay, well, how much is rent? They said, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Taken care of. And we lived there a, a year and a couple months uh, rent-free and uh, came back in January of 2012. It was a good move both ways. And, uh, continued to evangelize up until it started to slow down a little bit, I guess, in 2016. And I just, you know, looking back, we see God in, in all of it. Uh, and then 2017, like I said, was the last last time I went out. And, and I know we'll get into mental health a little bit later, but part of the reason for that was, um, was for uh, my own mental mental health. I mean, I, I wouldn't have any kind of breakdown or anything, but we knew that traveling was not going to be the way that I uh, approached uh, children's ministry from, from that time forward. Okay, um, which which leads us directly into our next question. Um, how did your how did your ideas of what ministry 
and children's ministry specifically was changed from when you started to to when you ended in 2017? Well, going back to that first um, experience in children's ministry, it was at uh, Georgia camp. I, I grew up here in Georgia, and um, there was a class that we had at senior camp that I wanted to do. I was old enough for senior camp, but I, I wanted to do, my, my mother did the food at junior camp and I stayed all week at junior camp. So I asked the camp director, is it okay if I do a little kids, kids class? And he said, yeah, okay, that's fine. Whoever doesn't want to be in the choir, they can go to your class. And, and I, we had, uh, I did it the way that this other class was, which is just fun, silly games. That's all it was. And so we did some of that. Mm -hmm. It went okay. And then I wanted to teach a lesson. Well, the teenagers, the other counselors that were there they weren't expecting that and they were on the it was a smaller tabernacle we were using they weren't expecting that and so when I started teaching this lesson and it was a really really I don't care who doesn't like this word but it was a stupid really stupid lesson okay <laughs> at least the way I taught it it was about a family of ducks and and the 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 daddy duck was teaching the baby ducks how to fly and the mama duck was too busy to learn how to fly with the house and things like that and well they all learned to fly short story uh, long story short the mama duck never learned how to fly and when the winter came and I was all dramatic and the winds of winter came and it was the and the mama died in the cold winter because she didn't learn how to fly. I mean, what what duck doesn't learn how to fly? Where is the logic in that? But and I had some kids acting it out. They were looking at me weird the whole time. It was going awful. The teenagers on the platform were making fun of it the whole time. I could hear them behind me, and I would turn around and I would make faces. I don't like stop it. And and it was and it was just awful. And and then. I, I wanted to bring this to a close. I said, and kids, why don't we all stand together? I was going to get real spiritual. And I said, can we have some? Yeah. It, Super it, spiritual. You're going to think spiritual in this part. Uh, I, there was a guy I knew. He learned, knew the piano some. And I said, if you would play some music for us, brother. He was one of the counselors. And this jerk, lifelong friend of mine, but this jerk thought it would be a real gas to play the theme song to the soap opera the young and the restless that little piano intro doom 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 and he started playing that and the kids recognized it oh that's from the soap opera that's and it was it was just just awful uh it got it, at least the worst was out of the way um uh one i, I there are other stories I, I could tell i won't go into to all of them how just some really awful lessons i taught but but the the thing it it was all it was Shannon's thing. I mean, starting from that class, I wanted to do the class, and I wanted to do Shannon's thing. And I you know I did it that year. I did it the next year. I had some uh, some help. A lady came in and uh, and helped me with that. Sister Mobley, a uh, friend of mine to this day, taught me a lot about children's ministry in that time. But it was my thing. And it wasn't until I was really about sixteen that someone said, you know, you've it looks like you found your calling, and uh, I was my hyper manic self around the kids. That uh, you know, it made it hard to fit in with with uh, people my own age. But around kids, my personality around kids was the was the perfect fit. But even still, for years, it was Shannon's thing, and I think what really changed it was the night. Uh, you know, we were gonna. I was gonna start doing regular children's church service in my church, and uh, this would have been the late '90s. Um, 
and our my pastor, former pastor slash bishop, Dr. Jerry Patterson, he he always said, you know, we're going to have uh, children's church and kids are going to get the Holy Ghost out there in our class. And of course, we know back then, kids only get the Holy Ghost in a special children's service or at camp. That was that was kind of how the, the way it worked. That was the way I looked at the work. I looked at children's ministry. Um, and but one night I I wanted to have a Holy Ghost outpouring. I was going to have an altar call. We never had an altar call in, in children's class. And um, so I taught a Holy Ghost lesson. I got gathered the kids around. There's no music, no no chance of soap opera music this time. And I was nervous, and I was uh, and and I just we, we we had an altar call. We prayed, had the kids repent, and not long after, the pastor's oldest granddaughter received the Holy Ghost. And and this was this was new in, in our church at the time, and so. My brother was out there. He takes a, a note. He's he gave it, and this I found this out later. He gave a note to the usher, just you know, going to maybe have him announce it after church is over. And um, but the usher walks straight up to the pulpit while Doctor Patterson. He was I think it was still Brother Patterson back then, but he puts the note down right in front of him, and he stops preaching, looks at the note, and says. And Jesse just got the Holy Ghost, and the place goes nuts. And of course, Sister Patterson, her grandmother, she just stands up, woo! And then, then just, and then we had a yeah, and then we had another. His second yeah. granddaughter it's got Jesus. it, and before the night was over with, we had six filled with the Holy Ghost. And that was when it was not just my thing. That was when it really became about about souls, about mm. the ministry, about about outreach, and. Moving, moving forward, even you know after that, uh, somewhere around I guess the early to mid two thousands, it was wasn't just about children receiving the Holy Ghost; it was about children winning souls. Um, I you know we the Bible doesn't say to mm-hmm. teach up a child in the way they should go. We've been teaching them, doing a good job of teaching them for years, but the Bible says to train up a child. Training is showing, it's teaching, it's demonstrating, it's baby stepping them through that, and so I wanted. And it was a little girl in our church taught someone a Bible study on her own, brought them to church. They got the Holy Ghost, and and I thought, how have we missed this? So that was that was the, I guess the last great shift mm-hmm. in children's ministry for me, because it went from Shannon's thing to kids receiving the Holy Ghost, and 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 then uh, we we um, we were the children's ministers at our church um, uh, until uh, back home until. We started evangelizing full time in 2009, and it was all—it was still Shannon's thing in a way, but in a good way. It was my thing; I enjoyed doing it. And we had kids getting the Holy Ghost all the time in children's church service. And uh, somebody'd say, "You know, you missed a good service tonight." Somebody told me one time, "You missed a good service tonight." And you know, we're out in children's service. I said, "We had somebody get the Holy Ghost. You missed a better one." <laughs> and uh, but then it became not just that, but it became about children being trained for outreach. And we wrote a Bible study. Uh, for children to teach, and we've uh, had a lot of success of uh, uh, that. I was actually going back recently and looking at how many copies we've printed, this little eight-page booklet. This, this is one of our materials anyway, uh, eight-page booklet for children to teach salvation. And uh, they, 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 we sell them in packs, and I'm trying to put, do a commercial here, but we, we sell them in packs of 10, But so so that's 10 copies. So altogether, uh, we've sold... Um, about seven thousand copies since we um, 
since we wrote it back in 2000, 2010. Uh, 2011 is when I think we got the final version that we were happy with. And, and it's, it's still like that. We, we, um, we, uh, work, we would travel and, and have and get churches and, and their children involved in outreach. We would train, have teacher training. Um, one topic, of course, was, was how to train children to win souls and, and putting the equipment in their hands to do that. And, um, and we've, that, that's, that's been a, a blessing and the challenge for me. And it's, it's more of a challenge and, and God's revealing himself and how this is going to work, but I'm not traveling to do that now. So, you know, the, the challenges now is, is God is, is, is seeing doors open for us to, uh, for us to get churches in, involved in that now, but even even so, if I was still traveling, I, you know, that's this is something I can't one at a time. And you know, if I if I go to, let's say I have a busy year, 30, 40 churches in a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, multiply that by, uh, you know, let's say ten years, that's four hundred churches, and we've got to go way beyond four hundred. So the fact that I'm not traveling to do that is, uh, you know, I'm okay with that because, you know, I, I see God opening um, opening more doors and, and we get we still get orders for uh, for our Bible studies and, and stories come to us um, as well. We actually we've bought y'all's Bible studies before. Um, we actually got them before before we even met, we, my wife had come across, uh, someone that had used them. And so we were cleaning out a drawer the other day and we actually found one that we had used here at the house to study with and to, to practice with and everything. And Addison, my four-year-old found it and she, uh, she wanted to sit down and do it. So we actually went through the Bible study with her Lovely. and, um, uh, she, she knows, you know, Jesus name baptism. Why do we get baptized to wash our sins away? Uh, do you want the Holy Ghost? No, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> You'll say, do you want to get fun. baptized? No, I, I, I don't sin. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, baby, you do. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you, you sin a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, it may, but it may no, be we've, innocent. But we've, yeah, uh, yeah, we've, yeah. we've used y'all's, that, we've used the material that, that y'all have provided to, to great success. We've had several of our, our kids go and teach Bible studies to their friends using y'all's materials. And, um, it might not have been started out as a commercial, but I'll end, I'll end it as one. If, <laughs> if, if they're interested, where can they find the materials at? Uh, shannonpeacock.com. We sell, um, that, that Bible study we sell through the Pentecostal publishing house, but, the the link on our website, uh, takes the, our website takes you directly to that. And uh, we have other materials. We have a book on how to start. And, and this program, we call it Kids Reaching Kids. And we have a book on how to implement that in your church. You can get the ebook uh, version of that at uh, shannonpeacock.com. That also we sell through the Pentecostal Publishing House. And, um, and all our materials, we also have a discipleship course for children to teach. It's easy. It's, there's a storyline that goes with it. Um, a young man going on a jungle adventure to a mission trip in the Amazon jungle, and there's seven chapters, and each chapter has a lesson that goes with it. And uh, there are, uh, you can also print from our website handouts to go with that little little activities to, to follow up for each lesson. And children can teach it, and all they do, all they have to do is just um, is just read it. We've got everything written out for them. The instructions are you can do it on your own words, but you can also just read it. Uh, straight to your friends, and and that's fine too. All right, so now we're gonna we're gonna move into that uh that that forbidden realm, the deep stuff, um, the the deep stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
So, so if this was a fantasy novel, we would be now we would be leaving the hometown and we'd be going into the the, the wild unknown. Yeah, um, that the heroes have never been to before. Yeah, the plains um, of chalk. That's a, that's a Terry Pratchett the reference. Of chalk. The outer, uh, the uh, the uh, the hub. Well, to throw a uh, Robert Jordan reference, my favorite fantasy author. Uh, we're going to the spine of the world. We're going to go to where the <laughs> to the spine of the world. Wow. Um. So. So and none of these questions are are meant to catch to catch you off guard. I I shared them with you before before we started this conversation. Um, this isn't this isn't a got you type of thing. Yeah. Um. You uh you you shared with me before, but do you have any type of mental health issues that you yourself suffer from? I do. Um. I have um uh several uh. It's um, when you have more than one, it's called uh, they're, they're comorbid is, is, uh, is the clinical term for that. I have Tourette syndrome, which is neurological slash psychological, uh, have obsessive compulsive disorder and bipolar disorder. And all those we we don't know. I think I think there are because I know what it's like to have them all. But clinically, they're not necessarily technically directly related but they do often co-occur and uh we we have a we have a, a phrase in my family shannon gets everything so i also i've got <laughs> i've got other conditions chronic chronic conditions or reoccurring conditions that i have but the i was with tourette's i was an unusual case my full-blown tics didn't actually develop until my mid early 20s now looking back we can see these nervous um not really tics or twitches but these little Things that I did, I would kind of roll my eyes um, out of kind of a kind of a habit. Um, of course, looking back, we see the OCD. Gr- growing up, the biggest OCD symptom, at least the one that drove that was most difficult for me and my family, was I would want to explain something. Doesn't matter what it was, mm-hmm. and uh, I would explain it. And if they interrupted me, I said, "No, no, you got to listen." And I would start over. And if they enter every time they interrupted me, I'd have to start back from the beginning. And you can imagine the awesome frustration and, on occasion, anger that my that my family would feel. Uh, and mm-hmm. if I when I got through it, if they said yes, I see what you're saying. A lot of times I would say no, you do not. And uh, so that that caused a lot of um, a lot of turmoil in my house. Uh, not long ago, I said to my sister, I look back and I think about how. You know, I kind of agonize over what I put y'all through, and she said, "Well, we we feel bad for how we responded to you," and I thought, right. "Well, that's 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 nice, uh, you know." But that's that's family. I've got three a sister and two brothers, and and we're close, and and um, you know, at the time, it was just this was just Shannon being Shannon. This was just him. This is his personality. It gets on people's nerves, and and that's just the way it is. Uh, there were there were other symptoms. Uh, right now, obsessive compulsive disorder isn't as disruptive in my life. Um, you know, a lot of people the, the term OCD is just is just thrown out there. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm OCD. I, I, I've OCD, and then I'll describe. I, I'll say something like, "Well, when you have this urge to do something, and you do it, do you feel like you didn't get it good enough, and then you got to repeat it?" And, and then you got to repeat it again because it didn't quite, you don't feel like you, you're satisfied with it. And then you start getting some anxiety and you're, you, maybe you start to sweat or even tremble a little bit. And they just kind of look at me like I'm funny. 
And uh, they said, well, I, I just, man, I get a little aggravated when the when the blinds on the window are a little bit crooked, <laughs> you know. I said, well, that's fine. That's not, that, maybe that's OC, obsessive compulsive, uh, but it's not a disorder because it doesn't bring disorder to your life, you know. So a little bit quirky would be, you see the blinds a little bit crooked, you go and you need, really got to straighten it up because it bugs you. But obsessive compulsive disorder uh, would be more like you you adjust it, it doesn't look quite right, and then you adjust it again, and then you go around the house, you're checking all of them, you're adjusting, and then you're just starting to feel some anxiety because you don't feel like it's 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 they're they're quite right. That's moving into the realm of obsessive compulsive disorder, and mm-hmm. uh, even now at night, one of my my big one is checking the time before I go to sleep. I look at my phone and I look at it. It's it's twelve thirty two, twelve thirty two, twelve thirty two. All right, say it five times. Okay, good. Turn the phone off. Ah, I got to do it again. And and I know in my mind, I know that it's twelve thirty two. But the mm-hmm. thing about the disorder, it's 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 not a delusion. But you just still haven't gotten the satisfaction of knowing what in this case what time it is. And the routine that people go through, the, the symptoms are, are so varied person to person. They can be extreme. They can be, um, they can be kind of minor. Uh, there was a, a, a young man who, when he walked out of his door, the door at his house, he had to walk through it right in the middle, perfect with perfect evenness on either side. And if, it, if he didn't feel like he did, he would back up and go through again and back up and go through again. And he would be late for work nearly every day because he just could not get the satisfaction that he has gone through the door perfectly evenly. One thing that helped him him is that he would barely open the door and just squeeze through it. And, you know, with with the door and the door frame, you know, pressed against him on either side, uh, or he would just kind of rationalize and say, well, you know, that's okay. This door was made by a bad carpenter, so it's okay. And that's a common, um, that's common, just kind of, rationalizing you know what like i might look at my phone and say it's okay that i don't that i'm not sure about the time because maybe the time is a little bit off which (laughs) you're connected to the internet on your phone so it it has the exact time (laughs) which actually makes it more difficult for me because i have you know i can't use that rationalization so that's that that's the obsessive compulsive and then then there's bipolar disorder and you know I wasn't actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder until, um, uh, until, uh, goodness, I guess maybe 10 years ago, not seven, seven years ago, maybe. And, but looking back, like I said about the other things, looking back, we can, we can see it, you know, uh, bipolar disorder, there are different, um, you know, resources for any of these things. There's some websites. Don't just go looking things up on the internet, but, uh, the Mayo Clinic website is, is a good resource. Uh, but bipolar disorder is to really oversimplify it. You get really, really super high and you get really, really super low. Uh, you have, uh, manic episodes, manic, manic episodes can be, you know, they can last for, da- for days at a time where you're just going like you're on cocaine and you can't mm-hmm. do anything with a person. You can't reason with them because they are going, they might, they might think I'm going to speak to the president and we're going to work everything out. All I got to do is just, I mean, just these they can it can even get to a point of um delusions of grandeur i'm not using the word delusion in 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 the clinical sense but uh but it can also be hypomania which is below that which is you get these really super energetic manic uh feelings that they can be 
they can be super happy. Uh, like I, mm-hmm. nothing can bother me. Nothing can take me down. I am on top of the world. And you can even make bad decisions feeling that way. Uh, you know, kind of like you can being on drugs. Some people might speed down the highway at 100 miles an hour because they're high. They don't think feel like anything can can bother them. And then on the and then on the flip side, you uh, those with bipolar disorder struggle with with depression also. And I think uh, you know I, I don't d- depression can be is uh, as bad as you know the depths of despair to thinking mm-hmm. to one day feeling like I just really got a serious case of the blahs. I don't want to do anything. Nothing interests me. Uh, even you know even a hug from my kids doesn't doesn't really do anything for me. So th- this is kind of a I mean there's a lot lot of um lot to say about what these disorders are and uh, there are like i said there are resources if anyone wants to go look up those things but but this is what i have and um it's it's uh it's it's been a struggle for me over the years and i, I think the most difficult part for me is the fact that it's been a struggle for my family members uh when i've uh, changes in life can really ag- ag- aggravate it when i started college uh Recently, you know, here in January, I went through a very, very serious bout of depression. Uh, just the stress of taking this on, and and I knew I would just have to wait it out. I would have to uh, just go through it and deal with it. And in the meantime, it's you know you don't feel like you're ever going to get through it. But but you know I did. I got into my routine. I'm you know my got my classes and and, and got things going. And um, but my wife kind of has to deal with me. It used to be that, you know, I want, I would want her to fix me, you know, and if anybody struggles with mental health, uh, mental illness, one of the most difficult things you can do is to want someone else to fix you and, and you want your family or you want your spouse to, you're saying, you know, just, just make me feel better. Just talk to me. Just, just help me out here. And that's difficult because a lot of times they, they just don't have it to give. I mean, they can be with you. Uh, they can, you know, say what they think will help you. Uh, but it can really, really take, take, a take a lot out of them. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been a lifelong struggle and trying to acquire, Acquiring a self-awareness of, of these things, knowing when I'm just depressed or knowing when I'm when I'm uh, high or I should, well, high is the right word, but manic and I can do mm-hmm. anything. I'm on top of the world. And my wife has long since learned to recognize those. And I and I, you know, she said, Shannon, you're you're manic. I'm like, no, I'm not. I've got this great idea. It's going to be great. <laughs> now, you overlay that on children's ministry. And over the years, I had a lot of creativity, a lot of great ideas. Well, 90, I think 90% of all the ideas that I had were just so-so and a lot of them were just awful. But, you know, the ideas just came and came and that's that's not unusual mm-hmm. for someone with bipolar disorder. If they have kind of a creative tendency anyway, this manic uh, hyper hyperness, hyper energy can come out in the form of creativity. But you might have, you might think you're having some really great ideas and, but you're not having <laughs> such great ideas. Uh, I I, referring back to my my former pastor bishop, uh, and I say pastor bishop because he was a pastor. But before we left, we're going to another church uh, now. For about three years, we're going to another church. Uh, but before we left for several years, he was the bishop of uh, the church that I grew up in. Just to clarify that, 
But I would come to him with an idea. I said, Pastor, I've got this great idea for children's ministry for a class. It's going to be great. He said, okay, well, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. And I would do it, and it would be just awful, a disaster. I would go to him. I would tell him about that. And he would say, yeah, I, I knew it would be when you told me. <laughs> I thought, why don't you just <laughs> tell me? He said, well, you needed to learn for yourself. You, you wouldn't have believed me anyway because you were just you were just not in a state to to believe uh, believe me. But, you know, you needed to learn that. For yourself, so that's that's um, that is a simplified version of what of what these uh, mental illnesses has been for me over the years. Your classifications, the bipolar and the Tourette's, do they do they ever come combat each other? Do you ever do you ever find do you ever find that you are that you're suffering from from one of your highs, but your Tourette's kicks in really bad, or does it does it affect your day to day life? negatively every single day day in day out or do you have your good days your bad days your your mediocre days yeah it's not it's not in depression now is is constant you know if you're going through depression then it's just a constant feeling and it can last hours it can last days or weeks and 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 for some people in some cases of course me you know earlier this year it was it was weeks i had moments of relief but uh it was it was awful you know if i get really manic, uh, hyper. A lot of times the Tourette's can kick in. Uh, you know, if I have a really, uh, there are certain things that can kind of make my Tourette's kick in and it's in my family. We, we, they like to have fun with me and that's okay. And I have fun with them for, for, for different things. But, uh, you know, what they do sometimes is they'll, my two brothers will come and they'll give me this big group hug and they're petting me. And I just, I'm, I just, I, I know they're doing it to aggravate me. So I'd say, stop it, stop it, stop it. And they're, they're just having fun with me. So my, my ticks, Tourette's were really kicking really bad. And I'm getting a little bit of, I don't want to say anxiety because I know it's all in good fun. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the two can kind of go hand in hand, but I've never really tried to f- figure out the algorithm so to speak. Mm-hmm. In other words, how does, you know, how does one affect the other? You know, which comes first, chicken or the egg? When I'm when I'm preaching or speaking to kids, the Tourette's is nearly nowhere to be found because I'm so busy, I'm so um I'm I'm moving, I'm um active and so that kind of just takes the place of it. And uh but you know, with Tourette's, you can hold the symptoms back for for a while anyway, kind of like not blinking. You know, blinking is automatic. Mm-hmm. You can keep yourself from blinking for a time. But eventually you're going to blink, not just not because your eyes are getting dry, but that's just because that's the neurological function and and that's just going to happen. And so to and a lot of times I'm sitting down and I'll think about Tourette's and then I'll tick. But it's hard to know which happened first, a tick coming Mm -hmm. on and it feels like an urge, but it's still automatic. Uh, You know, which which comes first, the thinking about Tourette's or the urge. And sometimes I think it goes both ways, but how they really interact with each other. A lot of times is difficult to tell, and honestly, I a long time ago I just kind of gave up trying to figure figure out how you know how that goes with with Tourette's. You know, I can function naturally. There are occasions when I have what I call a tick fit, where I just have to lay on the bed and I go into a severe bout of ticks for about a half an hour. It's almost like having a seizure, and I just have to you know I let that pass. And of course, there's anxiety associated with with this because it's it's very frustrating, um, mm-hmm. but day-to-day life i think the most difficult one of all these things to deal with is depression and you know if i experience anxiety i can sit down and uh you know i don't and i recommend this a lot of times to to people 
not in a clinical sense because I'm, I'm not a clinician, uh, but just uh, I tell them, don't fight it. Just sit down, get to a safe place and let it pass. And there's, uh, you know, some instructions that, you know, to, to give when in dealing with that. And, you know, anxiety, I can do that. There's also medication. There's long-term medication that people take that I take um, that takes weeks to eat before it even starts to work. And then there's uh, uh, medicine like uh, Xanax, which is immediate. And uh, and so, you know, I can take that. I usually just take a half one, you know, for when the anxiety kicks in, if, it's, if I really want to get rid of it. But with depression, you know, and a pill, a Xanax or whatever for that's meant to give immediate relief. There's really, there's really nothing for that. You just have to wait it out. And when I'm depressed, I, I don't want to do anything. I don't get anything mm-hmm. done. Um, I, you know, I like to, another hobby, really just kind of a minor hobby is piano. I don't play, I'm not a piano player, but I can kind of memorize some songs and I do that. But when I'm, I, I can be so excited about it one moment, and but then when I'm depressed, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do anything. So that's that's the most uh, debilitating thing that I deal with. And sometimes I'll deal with it for days straight, but sometimes I'll go for weeks uh, without really feeling uh, much of it at all. And it's sometimes it just seems like there's no rhyme and reason other than major life changes brings it on. When we moved to Louisiana it really kicked in awfully and um they were you know you know looking back you know when i got married it 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 kicked in which was uh, unfortunate for my wife because she saw me as this happy-go-lucky person and then then we had to deal with that um and we you know we learned to to work through that and deal with it so depression is is by far the most difficult thing well i believe it was it was shortly before you actually came to visit me a few years ago whenever whenever you came around march i had actually taken some medication to combat a chronic illness that i have my diverticulitis Mm -hmm. and they had put me on a new antibiotic and that antibiotic actually threw me into a bout of depression which i hadn't dealt with since since i was in my early 20s Mm -hmm. and that was strange for me to have something that was supposed to supposed to help me throw me into that. And it's not that I'm not a I do have depression. I, I suffer from anxiety and depression. We give both both of them I come by naturally, but I had never had something external besides life events or things like that throw me into a, about a depression. Do you find yourself ever having to deal with things of that nature throw something that doesn't usually do it causing an issue for you? I don't think there are usually it's kind of the other way around. It's, you know, it's the depression kind of um, the, the only I think the only external things that that really play a part in that is, like I said, the major life changes. I don't think I've ever, uh, like in your case, taken a medication that 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 caused if well, if I take a Benadryl, a lot of times that'll that'll put me into uh, uh, into a depressive state but that's usually just kind of kind of short term that and that that was one of the that was one of the things it was actually your visit that actually kind of pulled me out of that because i was still i was still going through it because um one thing that i've noticed about myself is that if i don't have and my wife kind of kind of like you said my wife has kind of learned my my triggers for the things that are going to throw me Mm -hmm. that are going to throw me off and and when i'm when i'm facing highly stressful times at work it'll, it'll, it'll start me on a downward spiral and she'll, you know, she'll, she'll do something big to, to, to try and give me that little boost that I need to get myself out. But 
with with what you, with what you know and what you experience from 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 your mental health classifications and your disorders, what what do you think the reason is for such a almost a uh, taboo and an embargo on on mental health discussions in in any church? Um, is it is it simply because of the fact that it's it's something that more people deal with than we like to admit, and so we don't like we don't like that because it's it's something that we can't fix with just almost a pray it away mentality. Yeah. Well, and this is this is something I have, and this is one reason I've I've gone into psychology as a as a profession. Um, I mean, it'll it'll be it'll be several years before I will actually be able to uh, actually get involved in counseling, uh, or I do count. I've been involved in counseling for many many years, but on, on this side of it, I, I my mission. And I don't say calling because my calling is ministry, but my mission, mission is something you choose really for yourself uh, in a way. But to not just raise awareness in the church concerning mental health, but to really affect our our thinking on it. Now, if someone is if someone is in our church, for example, and they're having a diabetic episode, they can a lot of times they can communicate that, or we know that there's something wrong. They're sick. Maybe they're nauseated. Uh, or they've got sweats, or they're having some kind of seizure. So we know that you know there's even if we don't know exactly what the issue is, we know that there is an underlying issue. And so a lot of times we know what steps to take. Maybe if, if we need to call an ambulance, we can do that. If someone you know passes out in church, uh, or they're you know Easter 2011, uh, my brother was leading church service, and he we knew about his heart condition. And he, while leading while leading song service, he collapsed of a massive cardiac arrest and was actually flatlined for 20 minutes. That's that won't go into that story. That's that's a long kind of a long story, but a miracle in itself. So there, he, there he, actually is a video of that though. There, there that, is that there, people can watch. There is, uh, matter of fact, uh, our uh, the website for that our, our uh, straight for the heart is facebook.com slash straight for the heart. That and some other videos is on there. It was on video. We made a documentary about that. There's a short three and a half minute version of that uh, telling Sean's story. But even with something that severe, uh, we had someone in our church uh, about a year ago who uh, who passed out, fell. And that's scary. But you know what to do. You really do mm-hmm. know how to handle it. Uh, there's usually somebody there who knows CPR. We want more churches are getting AEDs, automated ex- external defibrillators, which is what uh, we try to, uh, our straight for the horror organization tries to provide for others at a at a uh, at a low cost for the for the church. Um, but we, you know, pretty much know what to do. But if someone is having a manic episode, if <clears throat> if someone is is kind of babbling incoherently or if they're say if they're experiencing a lot of anxiety and we're trying to say what's wrong someone may say they may say something they may be talking about something that's happening or they may be trying to convey to us what's going on and we just don't know what to do we think something an event has happened and, and we just don't know what to do for them and if they say a lot of times people will say i have this mental health disorder uh, I'll be okay. I just I just need some time. But if if someone has some type of episode in the church, you know, sometimes people who are autistic or they have some 
uh, Down syndrome. A lot of times we we know that they have that, and you know they may blurt things out in church, or they may misbehave, and we we know what's going on. But if someone has a schizophrenic episode or a manic episode, something like that, we don't always know what to do. Now, diabetes, for example, um, that's a physical ailment, but mm-hmm. Something like bipolar disorder or uh, you know OCD or schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, all these different things, those things affect personality. Now, bipolar disorder is not a personality disorder. I won't go into how those things are categorized and defined, but... But it's not a personality, but it does affect personality. So, mm-hmm. so someone, so someone is having a physical episode. We can help them, but if they're having one of these other types of mental health issues, then it gets socially awkward, and, and sometimes in a very deep and intense way, and that makes it difficult. And because people just, you know, don't don't know what to say, don't know what to do, and, and that's and I don't blame people for you know even raising if we raise a lot of awareness. Uh, you know, for mental health in the church, uh, a lot of times people still won't know what to say to someone if it's uh, if it if it gets severely socially awkward, and so that's that is that's a, a unique challenge when it comes to mental health and the church. Now we're we're better. The church is better about dealing with that. Um, is if we know someone in our church they have a mental illness, uh, you know, most pastors who know that. They will, they know how to, they know how to take care of this. If this person's having an episode or something's going wrong in the church and the pastor knows that it's connected to their mental illness, they may get involved and just kind of maybe separate this person or just deal with this person in, in the way, the only way that they know how, or they'll tell people, you know, who may be seeing what's going on. The pastor may know what to tell them to kind of, you know, reassure them. And uh, so, you know, we're getting, we're getting better about that, but what we really need to do, and again, this is my mission, we need to create in our church an environment, a context in which um, the pastor can can let the church know that I may ask you or I may talk to you about the possibility of counseling if you're not already seeing someone. If, you, if the pastor thinks mm-hmm. they may have a mental illness, then the pastor may come to that person or talk to them in some way and ask them, have you considered counseling? And we need a context in our churches that the church knows that the pastor may do that. They may be familiar with or understanding that that the pastor can do that. And the pastor has kind of asked the church, you know, I want you to kind of give me permission to do this. And I, I don't, I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to do that. But, you know, pastor pastors know better how to approach that. And person with mental illness needs to be able to come to the pastor and say, you know, I have this mental illness. Uh, maybe they're treated, maybe they're not treated. And they need to be able to trust the pastor with that. The mm-hmm. One of the worst things, and we, it's not as bad as it used to be, the one of the worst things that we can tell a person is just, you know what? Well, you just pray about it, and God's going to take care of it. Right. Because the impression is, you know, pray it away. And you, you know, if if we don't always just pray a disease away, we don't always just pray cancer away. God is a healer. We know that, and but we don't always get healing. We we just don't. And and right. that's that's not an issue of a lack of faith. It's just the way it is sometimes. So. If you tell a person you just pray about this and God's going to take care of it and leave it there, uh, we we really do that person a disservice because we leave them really in a lurch. And when they pray, when they have 
anxiety or they're depressed or they're having some type of uh, issue and they're praying and nothing's happening, uh, well, then they feel like they don't have enough faith or they fail God. And there are, and there are still some pastors. And every time I talk about this, mm-hmm. I'm not mad at anybody, but I still feel a sense of frustration because there are pastors who, who tell someone who's depressed or has a, a mental health issue, uh, that's not of God. That's the devil attacking you. And a lot of times the devil has absolutely nothing to do with it. Now, we can say the devil is the source of all ill. Right. You know, the devil, the, you know, man fell, sin came into the world, and now we have disease and so forth, and that's the devil's fault. So we can say it's the devil's fault in that sense. But if if you tell someone you're feeling this way because the devil is attacking you, we do them a grave disservice. Now, the devil will jump on board. He'll seize the opportunity right. of someone having uh, having a difficulty like this. But if we tell people that's just the devil, that is one of the worst things that that we can tell people. And it's not as bad as it used to uh, because our people are getting help more than ever, but we still have a long way to go. If a pastor, if if not just pastors, but if, if a minister, whoever, if you tell someone you need to flush your Prozac, well, you need to flush your insulin. You know, you need to flush your, you need to flush your hypertension medication. You know, we cannot right. put one medical condition over another. And I know people who have not been diagnosed, but I know what they deal with. And if you recommend counseling to them, then they themselves might get angry and just say, "Jesus is my counselor," or "This is all that I need." So it can kind of come from the opposite direction too and that's not as as bad as it used to be like i said we've still got a long way to go but we have got to create an environment in our churches where people can feel safe with their with their congregation and if something happens they've got to be able to trust the pastor if the if the congregation needs to be addressed the pastor can say you know in a diplomatic way without and you know sharing uh or, or breaching any confidence you know this person is dealing with the, with this we're going to pray with them and and they pastors know how to address their congregations but the people who deal with this they have got to feel safe in our churches and we've got to learn how to talk about it and get past this you know social awkwardness uh that we feel and if someone asks me what i'm what i'm going through or what i deal with you know i'll tell them i have no problem at all with someone asking me uh what i deal with and you know sometimes on the road People would ask me, is it okay if I ask you, you know, what, what this thing is you've kind of hinted at? I said, no, I, I don't mind. I've got, you know, OCD and bipolar disorder. And sometimes the reaction is they're, they're kind of trying to be understanding, but they, you know, it makes them a little nervous and that's fine. I think that it'll always be that way a little bit that, you know, you tell someone I have a mental illness. I have, you know, I've dealt with uh, schizophrenia or, you know, whatever disorder, then there, there will probably always be some, some you know, awkwardness in that. And that is okay. As long Mm -hmm. as we know how to uh, respond accordingly and let these people know, I'm not going to hurt you with this. I'm not going to blame you for this. Uh, What do you need from me? Uh, When I was going through a serious bout of depression, when we changed churches um, three years ago, and there was kind of a situation attached with that, went to my pastor and his wife, who the, the people, our pastor and his wife, they're lifelong friends of ours. I've known the pastor's wife. Our families go back since before we were born, we're basically siblings. Uh, so anyway, when I, when I went to them and I said, I've got this happening and I am in a really, really bad way right now. I know I'm going to be okay, but this is, this is tough. Uh, her response. And a lot of times they kind of counsel together on, on a lot of situations. So it was pastor and his wife in there. 
And her response was ideal. She just said, what do you need from us? That is all she said. What do you need from us? What can we do for you? She had, she didn't really mm-hmm. offer any advice. She didn't say, okay, right. well, let's pray with you right now. Uh, and that's, you know, if someone's willing to pray, that's, that's good. We pray for them that God will lead us to the answers and so forth. But she just said, what do you need from us? Not everyone's going to be able to articulate what they need. And I think a lot of pastors are going to be able to recognize that. But if we let them know, if there is something that we can do for you, we we will do it. And um, uh, another thing that we need in our church is pastors. And I and I I I think I emphasize this just about as much as anything I'm, I'm talking about here. And I know I kind of go on about this. You may have to do a part one and part two <laughs> with this. But uh, but pastors, every pastor, every pastor listening to this. And if you're listening to this, tell your pastor that. Get 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 this out. Every pastor needs to know what mental health resources are available in their area. They need to be very familiar with what, especially if there's Christian counseling available. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of people in our churches who are counseling now and that we can refer uh, many hundreds over the years. Hundreds of people were referred to mm-hmm. my, to Dr. Patterson. Um, and he was, he's not counseling now, uh, his uh, grandson, who is the pastor there, is is, is uh, doing some counseling, but he would get a lot of people referred to them. Pastors need to know what is available. They need uh, they need to have some kind of references about this person. They need to research what what resources are available in their area. But a pastor needs to be able to say, okay, if you're open to counseling, or if you look at, actively looking for counseling, I've got somebody that I can recommend to you. Because that's going to give credibility for one thing. It's going to give credibility to our to the to the ministry of the of the church mm-hmm. to give people what they need, and they're going we're going people we're going to be able to trust our leadership better. And of course, it's going to lead them to the the help they need. Exactly. And speaking speaking from experience, uh, one of one of the pieces of advice that I was given whenever I was younger, it was by by someone who who. I, I haven't had contact within years, um, but I was I was going through a very very difficult time, and I was I was 19 years old. Um, I was 3,000 miles away from from friends and family, and I was I was suicidal. I was I was to the point where I was I was ready to just finish it, and um, I had the plan, I had the the desire, and I had I had the want to. So it was it it was just a matter of time before it was going to happen. And they, they pulled me aside and they, they told me, and this was somebody that wasn't even in the church, um, had absolutely no, that I knew of relationship with God, but they pulled me aside and they said, if you ever need to talk about anything, I'm here. And it was a couple days later, I sat down, I had a conversation with them. And then about a week, a week later, I was still at the point of suicide. I was still at the, at the very brink, but that, that one conversation kept coming back to my mind, which in turn led me back to the Bible, which in turn led me to to something that helped me more than that conversation did. But it was a process of having to actually talk about it to someone as opposed to just holding it inside and hoping I got I got better with it. And I think that's I think that's one of my my biggest takeaways from the study that I've done and the learning that I've done and even the conversations that we've had is a lot of times it's not I don't need a solution. I just need 
I just need mm-hmm. somewhere to talk yeah. about this where I know that what I tell you is safe and nobody's going to judge me for the way that I feel or for the things that I feel right now. Yeah. And, you know, with, uh, uh, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to ask with, with the way that things are glamorized nowadays, um, especially with suicide and depression, and you've got uh, TV shows and books like 13 Reasons Why, and you've got, um, you've got high profile celebrities that have committed suicide. And you've got, you've got suicide showing up in every single venue that it can show up in how do we how do we prevent this glorification of such a final solution to a temporary problem how do we how do we prevent yeah. that that that's a as uh, the old the old phrase the 64 million dollar question a lot of people some people will look at like that that the show uh, and i think it was a book first but 13 reasons why and i um i I didn't watch all of it, but I saw kind of some of it. It's it's uh, it's certainly not recommended for, for younger viewers. There's obviously would recommend against that, but you know I, I was I was watching it in a in a way I guess maybe you could say for research. And the scene the, the scene where the girl actually takes her life was mm-hmm. very graphic. It's uh, there was absolutely no detail left right. out whatsoever. Uh, that that scene has actually been edited out because there were there were. Uh, there was at least one that made the news, a young girl who saw that and she was inspired to take her own life. And it's, it's hard to say that that brought her to that point. Maybe it, it, it did, maybe it didn't. I would certainly not. The the parents say that it's the show that, that did right. it, but obviously these, these, this young person was having problems to begin with. Uh, but the problem with uh, it, it being a part of entertainment, not everyone sees a show like this as entertainment. It's not typical entertainment. It's not, it's not made to make you laugh. It's not, uh, it's not even like a, you know, horror films. People watch those because it's entertaining in mm-hmm. some level, but you know, this was a little bit, this was in a, in a, in a bit different context. And, but there was still a, uh, like you said, a, um, a glorification of it, um, because it was still entertainment. This, this was, this, this, this show was for entertainment and, but also to inform, I think it was meant to help people. Um, I, my, and I'm not going to really get off on this, but I, you know, I, I think the, the, the show portrayed the girl as having no other option than, than to take her life. I, I think it, uh, you know, she couldn't get help. She was helpless right. and nobody would help. She obviously went through a terrible ordeal. People were doing terrible things to her. But even in even the person in the show that tried to help her, that said these options are available for you for what you're going through, she rejected those. But that can, for a lot of people, that caused what, 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 you ref- what was referred to as suicidal mm-hmm. ideation. Ideation meaning it becomes real to right. you. Um, like I've gone to hearing about suicide to where I'm actually thinking about it as something that I'm, I can kind of see happening for me. Not necess- That doesn't necessarily mean one is suicidal. Someone who's experiencing suicidal ideation doesn't necessarily mean they are on the brink of suicide or really or want to commit it, but it suddenly real. becomes real to them. And and I, Hollywood is money. That, that's all they're about. Now, I think that people who are involved in Hollywood genuinely do care about the issue of mental health. I don't think they're all heartless and careless. But as an industry, they are not concerned with with people. Mm-hmm. 
They're, you know, they're there to make money. So, you know, there may be some lessons learned from this, this show and some other things that have happened. I don't think there will, I don't think Hollywood will ever change. The, the, the entertainment industry will ever change as far as their approach to, you know, suicide and, and mental health. You know, there, obviously there's a lot of comedies based on mental illness, which I, you know, if I, I've seen a lot of those and I think some of them are absolutely hilarious. <laughs> right. uh, you know, uh, I, I, I joke about, you know, my mental illness a lot. I say, you know, I, I hate having bipolar disorder because it's awesome. Right. You know, things like that are funny. But, you know, in this context, we got to understand that these shows, these movies, songs, whatever, it's going to make it real to a lot of our young people. Right. And in, it all, in this case, it's really just going to have to come down to uh, to the parents to monitor because I don't think it's it's going to change. I don't think uh, Hollywood is going to become more careful about what they put out there. If they do, it will be for a little while. You know, maybe, I, I, like I said, this this scene was taken out, 13 Reasons Why. And this may happen now, but don't count on it always always being right. that way. And uh, it's got to be something that we deal with on a, on a really on a case-by-case basis when it comes to the issues of suicide. And I've, I've come to that point a couple times in my life. Uh, I've never put this on, you know, social media or anything, but uh, in uh, 2004, September 19th, I took a handful of Benadryl because, and when I did that, I knew I was doing the right thing. I knew I was doing mm-hmm. the right thing. We didn't have kids at the time. It was me and my wife. I thought, you know, she's going to be relieved. My family's going to be relieved. They'll go through grieving, but they don't have to deal with this. And I don't have to deal with this anymore. But, you know, what pulled me out of it is is when I told my wife came to me she knew something really really was wrong more than it ever had been she knew I was depressed and had these had these issues um and I and I told her very ashamedly what I had done and what pulled me out of that was the way she cried I've never heard her cry like that never heard her cry like that before never since and and I don't I never want to hear cry like that again. The other time that I faced it, I, you know, I was going through something. It was, it was the ultimate combination of circumstance, of severity of the, of uh, my condition at the time, symptoms, and and I suddenly crossed a threshold that I knew if I did not get somewhere, I was going to make a very bad decision. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I checked myself into the hospital. I was there for several days, and of course, being monitored even afterwards, and I got past that. But I knew I was past that threshold. Mm-hmm. I knew that old feeling. I knew it was there again, but I had the wherewithal to get help. And I talked to my uh, Dr. Patterson. He said, "If and I, you know, when I was going through this, he said, okay, you need to get yourself somewhere safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, if you hadn't done that, we'd have lost you because I was, I was way over the line. And we, we've got to... We've got to let our people know, really let anybody know that Hollywood is Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They're there to entertain. They uh, they are not interested in your in your you know I, I've uh, I've worked as a, a background extra you know here in Georgia. There's a lot of that work available, and it's professional. It's the most professional environments I've ever worked in. Uh, even just as professional as Chick Fil A, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I can assure you, they do not care about you as an industry. They do not care about you as a person. So that's really something. It's it's on us as the church and as people, as counselors that care about others to make sure that when they, if they see what, how Hollywood portrays it, we got to let them know that's a movie. Right. That's all it is. What you saw is, is, it is, uh, is a movie and 
you know, you hear people say that, you know, they saw someone die in real life and, but, and it's nothing like the movies. That's what they always say. It's nothing like the right. movies. Uh, I, you know, I, I saw, um, uh, came into contact with something recently of someone who actually saw someone accidentally take their life and they said, said more than once, it's not like the movies. So we've got to really emphasize that to our people. It's not like the right. movies and they, that has to be irrelevant and if and if we're if there's anything we need to shelter them from it would be that issue right there because that issue you know it, uh even you know even with drugs we, we don't want them being entertained with uh you know people who doing drugs and so forth and reality television has plenty of that but again it's 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 up to us to provide that understanding exactly and i i i just want to say right now uh we've gone very very deep um and I, I want to tell you that I appreciate your your candor and your openness uh, during this conversation um, for everything that we've talked about. I, I do have one last question on on this vein, and then and then we'll we'll wrap things up with a few more lighthearted questions. Yes, pineapple should go on pizza. <laughs> yes, that's the answer. I don't care what anybody says. Have chicken and pineapple on your pizza from Pizza Hut, and I promise you, you'll never have anything. Only if there's barbecue I'm sauce sorry, go, on it as well. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> um. My my last question in the, in this vein of thought is why do you why why do you feel or maybe maybe you've done research on this I've done a little bit but why do you feel there's been such a significant increase in mental health and depression among young teens and children in the past five years unlike anything that I've ever seen before we're seeing children as young as as eight and nine years old abusing drugs and committing suicide and and having mental health issues that that children should not be having to face do you do you think that it's merely the influence of social media or is it is it something deeper than that uh there's there's more than one way to look at that um and I, first thing I, I want to say here, I'm not dis, this is not disagreeing with, with that notion because I don't disagree with it. But one thing that we have seen is an increase in the diagnoses of these conditions. Um, there's a, there's a movement and I won't get in, into it, but you know, there's a, they say more people have autism than ever before. And that's, that's really not true. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an increase in the diagnoses, the amount of diagnoses for, for autism because we have a better understanding of it. People, um, people are seeking help more, more than ever. Uh, so that's, that's really for, for things like autism. That's, that's why it's not an increase in, in the amount of autism or the num- it's, it's the number of people who receive a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to mental, these other mental health issues, like we've talked about with young people, there is an increase in the diagnoses of them. Um, so, but there is also an increase of the cases. So we've seen two things, you know, if you see the number, if you see, you know, 10, 15 years ago, this percentage of teens were dealing with, uh, depression, uh, mental illness. And now we see, let's say, you know, I don't have the statistics right off, but let's say it's twice that now, the percentage is twice that the number of people who actually deal with mental illness, young people, mental Ill, illness is, has not doubled. Okay. What one thing that has contributed to that is, uh, the diagnoses because people come are more likely or more apt to come forward. Uh, our understanding of it, parents have been, are, are better educated to be, uh, taught how to, um, un- recognize it in their children and go to them and their young people, uh, 
um, uh, about this. So there is an increase in the number of diagnoses. So we're getting more effective in diagnosing and recognizing these things. However, having said that, there is, according to the numbers, an increase of mental illness in young people. And there's a lot of there's there's so many reasons for that. There, there's so many things to speculate and give opinion on. But w there are studies. A lot of studies show that the more someone is on, let's say, you know, say their cell phone, the more likely they are to be depressed. Now, but now we can't say that being on your phone makes you depressed because you know which is the cause and which is the effect right. if someone is depressed they're on their cell phone more we can't say that being on your cell phone more necessarily makes you uh depressed but i do believe that that uh so that that is a contributing factor people have it is their the minds of young people really everyone but certainly young people because they're so much more impressionable their minds are kind of being programmed to to see likes on Facebook and number of followers and, and things like that. Um, they're seeing that as validation for who they are. If they don't get that, then they're, you know, we, it used to be the equivalent of being pop. It used to, you know, when I was in high school in the 90s, it was being popular. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're not popular, you know, you were jealous of the popular kids and some people were more likely to, derive their self-worth from how popular they are uh, but it's not as much as it is today because now the entertainment world the media um, now it is so staunchly prevalent that the more likes and followers and, and responses and replies and comments you have the more validated we feel right. now I understand that validation I know what it's like to, to you know post something and and uh and only get two likes and think man i thought people mm -hmm. would have liked that better than that that you know? really good <laughs> but, joke but, that you post and nobody laughs yeah, at it. Or, yeah or, or something and and so i mean but then of course usually the the post that always that i always got that i used to get the most response to is post about ministry or children receiving the holy ghost or mental health uh and so i know what it's like to feel that sense of validation but i also know how to separate that from my sense of self-worth mm -hmm. young people do not have that capability like like uh, like adults do and it's hard very it's always been difficult to tell a young person you know your self-worth is not based on how many friends you have or even really what your friends think of you and it's it's extremely difficult to tell a child that that's not you know they they just have to grow to understand that but now uh, since everybody's on social media, and I do mean everybody is on social media, it's very rare to find a child in a public school that that's middle school at least or higher that is not on social media. Right. That's how they are programmed through all this activity to derive their sense of self worth. And a lot of a lot of the people we see putting you know pictures of themselves on Facebook smiling, it's a great day, and I'm happy. A lot of times that is. Well, there's no other way to say it, but that is a lie. Right. You know, they are not happy. They're right. not having a great day. But if they, if people see them having a great day, if people see them as someone who loves life and 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 just they're just chipper, then they're going to get those responses to say, "Oh, you're a great person. I'm so happy for you," and they're going to get that validation. Um, but after a while, that's that validation from those kind of posts it, it wears off. So, I, in my opinion that's one of the biggest if not the biggest contributing factor 
to uh, the rise in, um, in depression and other mental health issues with our young people. I, I agree. I agree 100%. And the, the thing that breaks my heart the most is that I, re- I remember what life was like before the technology that we have now. I was, I'm kind of part of that last generation that, that I grew up with no cell phone. I got my first cell phone when I was 16. Um, so I still had a couple of years of growing up to do before I was, <laughs> I was in my well, 30s. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk. I don't, I don't yeah, want to talk yeah. about age right <laughs> now. Moving on. <laughs> um, I turned 33 next month. I really don't want to talk about age yeah. anymore. I'm the same age Jesus was when he died for our sins. Oh, and heart. what have I accomplished in my <laughs> in my life? Um, but I, yeah. I I look at the things that that I'm going through now, and that that dealing with dealing with kids and things and the you've dealt in children's ministry, see, hearing some of the prayer requests that come through these kids and it used to be simple and now in the past two three years i'm hearing i'm hearing like some of these children tell me who their favorite music artist is and i'm 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 just amazed at the things that that are that are going into these children's ears and it 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 breaks my heart and i wish there was an easy solution but the the only real solution is for open and honest communication on on all fronts for for mental health for for children for teenagers for adults is just we have to facilitate like you said earlier we have to facilitate that ability to have these open and honest conversations and and give people the safe places oh trigger warning the safe places to be able to have these discussions and that they know that these are places that they can entrust you with this information this is a very good conversation that we had, yeah, which was yeah, what I was hoping for. I knew, I knew whenever I asked you to do this with me that we yeah. would both um, both be blunt and honest because that's how we've been in our friendship since uh, since we started. So it was something that I've been looking forward to. And yeah. um, let's let's talk let's talk uh, jokey for a little for for a few minutes to wrap things up on a on a bright note. Now you just said that pineapple belongs on pizza. I won't uh, I won't. I won't dignify that with a true response. The uh, barbecue sauce on it was like a joke. It, if you like it, uh, I mean, isn't that what pizza's all about? If you like it, you like it. Yeah, just saying. Well, have you? Uh, you know who John Stewart is, right? The yes, used to host yes, the Daily Show. Have Have you ever heard his rant about uh, Chicago deep dish pizza? I don't think I have. If If you have never heard that rant, I encourage you and I encourage anybody listening to go listen to his rant about. Uh, deep, deep dish, dish Chicago pizza. deep dish pizza because it is one of the it is it is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, he is he is a very very vocal about his disdain <laughs> for what he calls cornbread with cheese sauce, <laughs> <laughs> and it is it is I'm it is hilarious. With him somewhat. I mean, I know he's 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 quite a, a he, he's a he's a funny individual. I haven't heard that bit though. Um, that between, between that bit and his speech about the, uh, the nine 11 responders receiving their full pensions yeah. and incomes it, and health benefits was, uh, he's, he's one of my favorite, uh, current day, uh, comedian, uh, spokesperson talker. You know what I'm trying to say? 
He's he's uh, you know I'm I don't identify you know as as liberal and he is uh, liberal but he's he's also I, I have found him to be very honest and he's got uh, he's got a lot of good good things to say. Exactly. Um, so favorite food and rest or restaurant go. Favorite food is my mama's uh, homemade biscuits and gravy, and I can okay. guarantee you this is to everyone out there whose mama makes homemade biscuits and gravy my mother's Don't homemade start biscuits any fights now. and gravy can beat up your mama's homemade biscuits and gravy okay <laughs> uh, that's just that's just the way it is and uh uh favorite uh favorite re- favorite restaurant i don't know that i have one i can tell you it's not mexican restaurants i don't know what it is about our apostolic people that just <laughs> have got to have their Mexican, I guess, you know, we're very festive people and Mexican restaurants kind of ha- have a festive atmosphere. I mean, you can't hardly yeah. speak Spanish without sounding like you're throwing some kind of party. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but, but uh, other than that, I, um, I'm a, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely a steakhouse man, longhorn man. Okay. Okay. I can, I can handle that. You, uh, I, I work in the the well an extension of the business that I'm in is actually the cat is actually the rancher cattle business and so I am I am down with anybody that likes to eat steak mm-hmm. amen so next things up and you you don't have to answer this one what is the best prayer request you have ever gotten from a child in <laughs> a in a in a children's service oh the best one uh well i know of course we all know that the most popular ones the two most popular is i got a boo-boo and boo boo and pray for my dog my dog died okay my dog, my when, dog when died. did he die two years ago <laughs> oh, so those are the <laughs> yes. those are the yes those are the, the the two most popular ones uh the 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 funniest prayer request I, and i know i know i've had i know i've had uh plenty of them um, oh, oh, the, and I've had this more than once. Um, pray, <laughs> pray for my, pray for my mommy. She cusses a lot. <laughs> <laughs> See, and, and that's almost, that's very similar to my favorite prayer request that I've ever gotten, which was pray for my brother cause he smokes pot. <laughs> so that, that, that was, yeah. that was, that was one of my, that was one of my absolute uh, favorites. Yeah, you can find out a lot about, uh, you know, uh, people in the church by the prayer requests that children sometimes give. And sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes you're thinking that really, that's the head usher. I didn't want to know that about him. Yeah. That that's uh, I, I told Lindsay one time, um, I said, if, if pastor ever really wanted to know what was going on in the church, all he has to do is hang a microphone in the kid's church room <laughs> yep. and he could find out everything he needs to know about Amen. what everybody's that's doing. Right. Um, so we've talked about who your favorite author is. Mm-hmm. But what is your favorite book? And I, I don't know if you already mentioned what your favorite book was, but what is your favorite book and why? And you can't include the Bible. It can't be yeah. the Bible because that's a that's a Well, that's out. a given, yeah. So, well, like I said, it's Terry Pratchett. And the most recent book um, that I um, that I read, I, th- I believe would be my favorite, The Fifth Elephant. It is a... It's a mystery. There's a lot of mystery. There's uh, there's a, the the captain of the Night Watch uh, leaves the main city of Ankh-Morpork, and to be an ambassador to uh, to a ceremony of a dwarf king, uh, of a, a, a new king is being um, being uh, coronated, and there's also there has been uh, 
there's there's been a, a, a murder. There has been an artifact that it's a, it's a scone made of stone <laughs> that the king sits upon when he is coronated, and, and it's, thou, it's over a thousand years old, and it was stolen, and so he's got to figure this out. There are uh, there are so so many things that happen. Um, he he's he's chased by. Uh, uh, werewolves, uh, he he takes them on, and that's that's a big ordeal throughout the book that he's kind of combating this one that's that's after him, and uh, and his character is really great. He's just not the ambassador type, you know. He's not a talkative person. He does his he does his uh, job, and uh, and he's good at it, and but the. I, I, I like a good twist. I mean, this has got the fantasy, it's got the humor, it's got the satire, it's got the action, but, and I don't want to give anything away for, you know, for those who might read it, but there is a, over a series of two pages when the king that has just been coronated, you know, he figured out what happened with the, with the scone of stone, okay? But then... <laughs> it he was right that, that but title's it wasn't. just amazing yeah the scone of stone you know yeah uh but then the 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 king the dwarf king who was just coronated explains to him that yes you're right but you're not really right and here's there's about three four twists straight in a row that just all connected together and it's not just about a twist it's it makes for a great story it's a great uh not plot device, but a story device, and it, and it just it, it encompasses everything, um, uh, everything that the that the book was about, and it was it was just it was just so interesting. It was I think it is the most fun that I have ever had just reading a book. And that uh, that is that is one of the reasons why my absolute favorite book actually comes from my favorite book series, which is The Wheel of Time. Um, written by Robert Jordan and, and finished by Brandon Sanderson after Robert Jordan passed away in 2007. And the, the third book in the series is entitled the dragon reborn. And it's, it's the book where um, the, the main hero is, is pretty much having to claim his destiny and he's having to, he's having to, to reach out and grab hold of his destiny so that he will become the chosen one and everybody will know and understand that he is who he says that he is. And there's actually a portion of the book that then carries over through the rest of the series, which is absolutely hilarious, where there's there's three main boys that are the main characters of the book. And each one of them thinks that the other two are really good with women. So anytime they are in their perspective, you hear one of them say, I wonder what Rand would do in this situation. He's so good with women. And then you move to Perrin, and he says, "I wonder what I wonder what Matt would do in this situation. He's so good with women." And then when it comes back to him, none of them are good with women. And it's 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 one of those things where it's the subtle humor of how men actually think that really yeah. cracks me up about those books. Yeah. Well, Shannon, I want to tell you thank you again. We are at. One minute and 39 seconds and 20, well, one minute, 30, you mean one, one hour. hour 30, yeah. yeah, I can't read time. I can't read time. Good. <laughs> one hour, 39 minutes. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this discussion and this conversation with you. Same, same here. Um, I look forward to scheduling another one of these talks with you. That will be part two. 
um, maybe that time we can just dive in deep on some of the uh, on some of the fantasy worlds that we know and love. Yeah, like Star Wars. We haven't even mentioned Star Wars dude, once, dude. And that is that is that is impressive that we went an hour and forty minutes we without can, talking yeah, about Star Wars. Next time we can talk about how how bad Episode Nine was. Uh, but like I said, Shannon, thank you so much for doing this. I I really appreciate it. I I love the conversation. I love I love you. I love, love uh, you, I love your family. Uh, I will talk to you again soon, and thank you so much for doing this. This is Noah. Uh, this is Noah Needs to Know. I hope you enjoyed this conversation if you made it all the way here to the end. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you listening. Um, if you need any help, if you need to talk to anyone, if you need to talk about anything at all, you can reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook Messenger. You can find help. There is someone that is willing to talk to you. Thank you. I hope you have a blessed rest of your day.